0: I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter two. And if you need a Bible this evening, you can take the one that is in front of you and you'll find Colossians chapter two on page 984. We are this week, this Holy Week through our services, looking at different places in the New Testament where the New Testament writers spoke of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This past week, uh, the week before, not this week, last week, I was doing some traveling and I was driving through uh, Alabama and Mississippi and my route took me on some two-lane roads. And when you go on two-lane roads in the south, you get the opportunity to pass by a lot of small churches that have those great little signs out in front of them. And uh, I always find it interesting to look at those signs. Um, Some of them make me chuckle. Uh, Some of them make me cringe when I read them but they are always interesting. I did see a sign this past week, or the week before last, uh, that did interest me. And the sign said this outside the church, it said, Nails did not hold Jesus to the cross, you did. And as I traveled on for the next several miles, I thought to myself, is that true? Is that true? Did my sin hold Jesus to the cross? Now I understand and we understand that Jesus paid for my sin at the cross, but, but is it true that, that he was, that Christ was a victim of evil that day? Are, are we saddened by what feels like defeat at Calvary and are we waiting for Easter as the victory? Are we missing something in our view of the cross? Follow along with me as we look at these three verses this evening, Colossians chapter two, beginning at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father? As we sit under your word this evening. We would ask that you would speak to us, that you would send your Holy Spirit to open up our minds and our hearts to see what you have to say to us this evening. We pray these things in the matchless name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. It is true as the choir just sang that our sin was paid for at the cross. And it's also true is what, in what they just sang that God's righteous wrath was satisfied at the cross. And we were then therefore given the ability to reconcile to God. Those things are true. Beloved ones, that's not the whole story of the cross. In fact, when the New Testament writers speak of the cross, they almost always speak of it in terms of victory. And when you look throughout the New Testament, you would quickly find that the New Testament writers would probably disagree that the cross seemed like defeat and that the resurrection is the victory. And as much As I love and we love that classic sermon, and I do love this classic sermon, as much as I love it, I'm not sure that the New Testament writers would have preached it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Look at how Paul puts it in verse 15. He, that's God, God disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's Satan and all the cosmic evil powers. God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Or literally in the Greek it's in it and the NIV translates it in the cross. Maybe it could be best translated triumphing over them in Christ on the cross. Think about that. That God at the cross disarmed Satan and all the cosmic powers of evil. He stripped them, he took away their power, he took away their weapons there at the cross. And then it says he put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He put them to open shame. Certainly, there was a sense in which, as you looked at Christ on the cross, there stripped naked and beaten and hanging on an instrument of death that was reserved for the least, there in a garbage dump, there was a sense in which, from a worldly view, you would go, okay, well, the shame is on Christ. And yet, at that moment, from the cosmic view, Paul wants us to understand that the shame was on Satan and the evil powers. And that he was... He was leading them. The the picture that Paul wants us to get when he says triumphing over them is that triumphal procession that a Roman emperor might make as he conquers a great enemy, a great enemy that might have been feared as being fierce. And yet when this Roman emperor conquered them, he would lead this procession. His chariot would go out through the city, through Rome, and he would lead behind him these captives. And there in chains, stripped naked without a crown, without, any, without any, uh, 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 any picture of power or anything like that would be the, the emperor or the king or whatever that he had conquered there in chains. Paul wants us to have that picture because he's saying at the cross, this is what happened. Paul spoke about this in Ephesians 4 when he quoted Psalm 68 which says that when he ascended on high, he led, that's Christ, led a train of captives. Who are those captives? The captives are Satan and the evil forces of darkness. He's triumphing over them there. Christ going out in his chariot. In fact, Calvin, John Calvin put it this way. The cross is the chariot of the conquering king. What does that mean for us? What powers and weapons have been stripped away from the devil, from Satan? What power and weapon has been taken away as he seeks to attack us? Well, there's four things that we see from scripture that have been taken away in that moment at the cross. The first is this, that the devil no longer holds the power to condemn us. Paul writes in Romans 8, verse one, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here in the verses that we have before us, verse 14, Paul speaks about how this took place. He said, our sins have been forgiven, all our trespasses, verse 14, by the canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Paul brings forth for his readers two pictures here. The first, nailing it to the cross. You see, what was nailed to the cross by those who were, were hung there, who were executed, what was often nailed above them was the very thing, the, very, the, the, the accusation, what they had been convicted of, what they were found guilty of, and, it wanted, and they wanted it to be clear to all who passed by, this person is being executed because they did this. And what Paul is saying, it's not Christ's offense that is nailed to the cross of Christ that is above his head. It's us, it's our offense. Our record, our condemnation has been nailed to the cross of Christ so that all could see that that is being paid for by Christ. But not just that, he says canceling the record of debt. Literally in the, in the Greek there, it's, it's wiping away, it's, a, it's erasing that record of debt. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that at the cross, what has taken place is that your sin and my sin has been paid for, nailed to the cross. And not only that, but the very record of that account, the very record of our sins, the, the document that holds the record has been destroyed itself. And so... The evil one, though he tries to accuse, coming after you and me and saying, oh, Todd, God could not love you. You're a sinner. You can never obey him well enough. And the evil one does come accusing, but the the reality, the truth is this, brothers and sisters, that he cannot condemn, he cannot say to any of us, and therefore, and therefore you will be separated from God forever that you have to face the punishment. No, he cannot condemn because that victory was won at the cross. Not only can he, does he no longer hold the power to condemn us. The devil no longer holds the power through our own fallen nature to get a foothold in our lives. You see without Christ, without Christ before I became a believer, my own fallen nature, my own sinfulness. As David writes, Psalm 51, born into sin, I didn't have the capacity to obey God. I didn't have in myself the ability to, to choose what was good and right instead of choosing what is evil. The way Paul puts it here in these verses that we have before is verse 13. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... Before we had Christ, we were dead. We were incapable. Our fallen nature, our own sinful heart made it impossible for us to truly resist temptation. Instead, instead, when the evil one came along and enticed us to sin, we had no power against it. But what happens at the cross, even here in verse 13, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. He brought you to life. He brought me to life. Or as Paul puts it in another place in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation and the old is gone and the new has come. He has brought us to life. What does that mean? Regeneration has taken place in us. And now that that place where Satan could get a foothold in us all the time, every time, he no longer has in himself the power. He does not hold the power to gain that foothold in our fallen nature. Because you are filled with the Spirit. Have the power to obey because Christ has given it to you. And that's why Paul can write in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen: No temptation has overcome me but that which is common to man. And God is faithful and will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear, but will always provide a way of escape that I may stand up under it. See, Satan can no longer claim a foothold automatically in my life or in your life through the fallen nature because that victory has been won at the cross. He no longer holds the power to condemn us. He no longer holds the power through our fallen nature. Thirdly, he no longer holds the power through evil in this world. You know, just a few weeks ago, maybe four or five, I was speaking to a friend about all the things that are going on in Memphis that break our heart. And I said this, these exact words, I said, it feels, it feels like a cloud of evil. Has descended upon this city. I feel the weight of it. I feel like we're under it. And of course, the events of last week. Like the cloud of evil descending upon the city of Nashville, descending upon our state. And maybe it's more accurate and realistic to say that cloud of evil feels like it's, it's descended upon our country. And our brothers and sisters around the world would say, well, it's descended upon mine too. It's, it's over the world. Are you saying, Todd, that the, that the devil has no power in this world? are you saying that he's defeated yes I am and as one writer puts it the devil is defeated but he has not conceded that defeat the devil is overthrown but he has not been eliminated even still brothers and sisters, even still, evil in this world holds no real power over the believer. Let me say that again. Even still, the evil in this world holds no real power over the believer. That's why Martin Luther could write in that great hymn that we love, the prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure for lo, his doom is sure. Or as Jesus said to his disciples on the night of this supper, he said to them, I've said these things to you that in me, you might have peace. In the world, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, that victory was won at the cross. The devil no longer holds power to condemn us, no longer holds power through our fallen nature, no longer holds power through evil in the world, and he no longer holds the power of death. I love the way the writer of Hebrews puts it in Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 and 15. Listen to this. Since therefore the children, that's us, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Christ, Christ himself likewise, partook of the same things, that through death, Christ might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery, to free you, to free me. And so Paul writes, Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Thanks be to God, he says, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that victory was won at the cross. The evil one no longer holds the power of death, no longer holds the power through evil in the world, no longer holds power through our fallen nature to gain a foothold in our lives. He no longer holds power to condemn us. This is the victory of the cross. This is your great conquering king riding on his chariot, pulling behind him in open shame the forces of evil. On Sunday, we're going to celebrate the joy of these victories as the resurrection confirms and communicates to the world that these victories have been won. And tomorrow in this place, we will worship with reverence and awe in the power of God to defeat all enemies and to reign from the cross. And so now, so now we come to this table and we will together tonight marvel at the love of God to save sinners.